And do you know how many people would probably like run away at the sight of dismembered legs? Yeah. Dude, there's a four foot bong and a bag of weed by your bed. <laughs> Jelly Wings, the parlor game for nerds, is nearing extinction. It's in my pod! It's in my pod! <laughs> I will find proof. <laughs> I'm very easily startled, Mr. Finkerton. I don't know which regulation body would regulate the uh, penis ring that you were talking about earlier. (laughs) I'm ready to remain conscious as we record this show. Hey, welcome to Medical Stuff. My name is Mark Frankham. This dashing young man over here is Christopher Finkston. Yeah, I can introduce myself. Thanks, Mark. Well, I was going to have you introduce your dad, but never mind. Now this dashing older man sitting beside him is Doug Finkston. No, a completely is... rando guy we found on the road that has the same name, last name as Chris. It's no, no, no. This, this, this dashing old man next to me is responsible. That's who he is. <laughs> He's responsible for everything you hear. Um, so today we're going to try a little bit of a new format. We're going to go ahead and uh, find stories in the news that are of interest and show you guys how EMS ties into that. We tie into an awful lot of stuff. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the Manchester bombing. 2017. 2017, that's right. We confused with the 1996 Manchester bombing. Kind of a rough town, I gotta tell you. Yeah, exactly. uh, As everybody knows, just recently there was a bombing in Manchester City at an Ariana Grande concert. There were 119 injured and 22 dead, plus the bomber. He killed himself at the time, but really, who cares about him? Right, exactly. Um, this, uh, this occurred actually just outside the venue, I believe. The bomb was stationed outside the venue as people were leaving, or might have been the exit the, of was, the venue. It was in the uh, lobby, like in the foyer area. People were waiting just inside to for family members. And with all these patients, this ended up taking, I believe, 60, 60 transport units. Yes. Thereabouts. It sounds about right. And so what this is, this is something we call in EMS, this would be called a mass casualty incident. And this is going to require a ton of extra resources. And thankfully for that, we have systems that are organized. And we, yeah. we do is uh, we have the instant command system. And this is the structure by with which we train and by how we expand and contract our needs on the scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, so how did, how did ICS come about, Chris? So ICS itself, the incident command system, has been around, I want to say either in the 90s or 80s. It was actually invented in California when they were fighting wildfires. So in California, you'd have these large wildfires that would span multiple jurisdictions, and they needed a uniform way to set up a command structure and control communication uh, from various agencies. And so they would set up a command structure that's divided into branches. Each branch has a specific task. Now, if only this branch system had an acronym that you could remember it by. Yeah, in fact, if I were to make up an acronym suddenly, me, Chris Finkston, uh, it would be CFLOP. And so what CFLOP is, is the first part is C, that's command. That uh, command is set up all the time. You will never not have the command branch. After that is the FLOP. It's finance, logistics, operations, and planning. Operations being the most common branch that is set up. In your larger, I would say FEMA-sized events, such as Hurricane Katrina, that's where you're going to have those uh, other branches. We're talking about financing being an issue, planning going forward, logistics and how to move resources from potentially around the country. Around uh, the world. In the spot. Yeah, around the world. We did that. We actually did get a global response of EMS. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the Haitian uh, earthquakes would be yeah. another another good example of Yeah, you know, when you're response. trying to finance this, you have to, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that goes into that. It's being able to feed the victims. Yeah. And get resources to the medical supplies, food, water, the basics. There's also feeding the providers and housing them if people are there helping. 
planning would be, you know, how to... I gotta explain this. I'm sorry. So hang on. So Mark Jusigno, he says, uh, feed and water, comma, the basics. Now in EMS, we have several uh, layers <laughs> of responders. Not anymore, we don't. And there's, well, right. But we have, uh, so we have, we have several different certification levels and, there, and then there's a licensure. And that is, we talked about this in our last episode, and that is... There's first responder, EMT basic, EMT advanced, EMT intermediate, and then there's paramedic. And so when Mark said feed and water the basics, there we go. I have this image of basically a farm full always, of EMT basics being keep fed your and partner water. happy. That's is what I'm saying. Yeah, so. just feed, feed and water them. <laughs> uh, logistics would be, uh, like I said, financing would be making sure that you have the money to get all of this set up and then broken down. Mm-hmm. Uh, logistics would be moving everything into your uh, area and then having to move it back out maybe later. We're talking about equipment, excess. Uh, you know, supplies yeah. and planning is, you know, making sure that everything runs smoothly. Right. Today we're going to be focusing mainly on mainly on the operations and in uh, specifically to this incident. Yeah. And so, uh, so let's talk about the call. Let's start with a call. Okay. Uh, you have an Ariana Grande concert. Uh, it's just let out. She's gone off the stage. Uh, people are waiting in the lobby area for their family to come out or have come out of the venue and are waiting for their family to come pick them up. At which point a uh, suicide bomber arrived and detonated in uh, a device that had was full of bolts and nuts and shrapnel, basically. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, yeah, there's your there's your point of. And oh. so and so, what's going to happen at this point when this MCI occurs? The very next thing that's going to happen is going to be lots and lots of phone calls. Mm-hmm. That's what we're going to have to deal with first. And first of all, I also want to make mention: uh, Mark and I have no detailed knowledge on this beyond what anybody else has. This is us observing from a distance. The actual incident in yeah, Manchester. The distance about the size of the Pacific Ocean. Exactly. And, uh, and right. Full continent. And what we're doing is we're just kind of expressing, uh, we're just using this to relate to what we do over here. We don't have any extra information. But the next thing you're going to get is a whole bunch of phone calls about this. People are going to be calling in. That's going to go to the dispatch center. Mark, you've got dispatch experience. so I do. And basically what you're going to do at that point is you're going to triage. Because what's going to happen is you're going to have two or three uh, call takers that are going to be getting information about the scene. Mm-hmm. The rest of your call takers are going to be basically trying to recycle those phone lines and move callers through because you can spike for something like this hundreds of calls yeah and this but you still have other emergencies happening around the city yeah and that can block people who are having a heart attack somewhere else from being able to call in and get help so majority of your uh, effort is going to be put towards uh, trying to get through the extra calls and get to the calls that are not about this incident. And this can hamper 911 capability to respond. Absolutely. I mean, you're not going to be able to take the calls the same way you were. So this can hamper a lot more than just what's on scene. It can can cause a delay in response. And then also with your your system taxed with the incident, you're not going to have as many units available to run these other calls, which can be just as important. Yeah. And you can run out of uh, responders. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, we're going to talk about that. On something like this, you know, when you first get there, you know, your first responder, the first one they get there, they're going to look at that and be overwhelmed mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah. Which... And that's where the command structure comes in and operations gets to be so important. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, well, yeah. because they've got guidelines on what to do first. Right. And that will help out somebody that, you know, we don't go on these every day. Right. We, we might not even go these once a career. I mean, it really depends. Yeah. I mean, an MCI of, of this 
magnitude. Right. You probably Hopefully. won't see. Hopefully, Hopefully I won't, won't see it. What's yeah. your career? So after you get your uh, call taking taken care of, I mean, as soon as you call in and you give a basic address and a description of what's going on, you're going to get a response. And your first unit in is going to be, like Doug said, is going to be hugely overwhelmed. But they have a lot to do. They need to do a quick scene size up. So we have an, you know, an on-site description of what's happening. Dispatch information is only as good as a completely untrained individual calling. I and mean, this is an untrained individual who just experienced a bombing. So right. they're going to be rattled. Exactly. And we get, we also get a lot of calls in, you know, not to derail too much, but we get plenty of calls that come in. I had one the other day. It's a multiple patient scene. There's bodies everywhere and you get there and it's two patients. Right. You know, and so anyway, continue. But, you know, yeah. So your first unit in is going to give a scene size up. They have a lot of things that they have to take into account. In this sort of incident, they have to worry about scene safety. We talk about that a lot as Huge. training. You're, uh, you know, in fact, as you're going through school for your training, <laughs> You can't wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat screaming, BSI scene safe. I was actually getting married when I was going through paramedic school, and I swear to God I was going to get to that altar and immediately start out with uh, BSI and scene safe, number of fiancés, one, backup resources, <laughs> yes, request now. <laughs> so you get there, uh, they have to worry about scene safety, making sure that there's no other dis explosive devices waiting for first responders to show up. That's a big thing, because remember, the terrorists now want to cause as much damage as they can, but then they'll have a second wave, and the next group of people they want to get are the people that are helping. Absolutely. The first responders. But you also, in something like this, you have to worry about things like gas leaks. Maybe, yeah. Maybe a main being ruptured. You have to worry about structural integrity of the building. One of the things on this one that there was a concern was that there's an um, underground station right below the building. And they had to shut it down for multiple days because there was structural damage in the underground. But still, at that point, you have to worry about the people that are down there, mm -hmm. the trains that are coming and going, and the imminent cause of collapse. Yeah. So these are all things that, you know, that first, first incoming unit is going to look at. And along with that, they now also have to start with triage. Right. So um, the first arriving unit, though, and we talked about that command structure earlier, the first arriving unit is actually going to set up command. Now, they may not hold on to command. In fact, they likely will not hold on to command. But likely they're going to start in. They're going to declare, you know, whatever they need to. They say, this is an MCI. We need more resources. Start asking for more resources. Set the command structure. And they'll immediately move to triaging patients. Triaging the patients. So where does where triage come from? Uh, it comes from the French term to pick and choose or pick and sort. Mm -hmm. Unless you're a triagi. No, no, I'm not saying a joke, but Chris won't let me say that joke anymore. So I'm actually, I, I just want listeners, Mark. <laughs> That's all. So, um, you know, we've talked about becoming overwhelmed very quickly. As a side note, I went to a, uh, it was an MCI. It was an MBA on I-5, which is in the area we live in. And there was a rollover of a minivan and everybody got ejected out of the minivan. And I get up to the hospital. We had two by life flight, four by ground. All of them trauma system entries. Mm -hmm. Life flight is our local flight service, helicopter flight service. I get up to OHSU, and there's a lady sitting in the hallway, and she's very distraught. And nobody's really, because they're so busy. We've made our patient care transfer. And I, I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, okay, I'm fine. As it happens, she's a trauma resident from OHSU. Oh. She was on her way home. She saw the incident. She jumped out of her car and was going to be super doc. And immediately got overwhelmed by the situation because she had eight patients laying on the ground around her and she just, it just blew her mind. And she said, how do you, 
do this. I mean, the fire department showed up and they just started working. And I said, well, we trained for it. This is, we have a command structure in, you know, in place so that you don't get overwhelmed. So what she couldn't, what she was having a problem with, it was just the initial triage. The initial triage is going to be a person going around and there's four categories of triage. There's green, which are basically your walking wounded, which mm-hmm. can actually be the most difficult to handle because they tend to wander off. They can walk. They can walk Makes things and they difficult. will. In this incident, there was actually a hotel up the road that took in these people and gave them shelter. That's awesome. They also set up a place with the, uh, with the uh, police for reuniting family members, parents with kids and so forth. So that's your green. Your yellow mm-hmm. are your patients who they're hurt. But they need dying. treatment. Yeah. They need treatment. They need to go to the hospital. They need to go by an ambulance. But they're not dying. Mm-hmm. Your reds are the patients that are dying. They don't just need treatment. They need expeditious treatment at a hospital. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, unfortunately, you run into whether the black level. And if you come across somebody who is not breathing, you open their airway. If they start breathing, they become a red. If they don't have spontaneous respirations at that point, they're going to be a black. And you move on. So the way we determine this quickly, we have a couple acronyms we remember. Um, this is part of a general uh, triage system called START, which stands for Simple Treatment and Rapid Triage. But we use the RPM, which is respirations, pulse, and then mental status. And what that basically breaks down is like Mark said, you go there breathing, yes or no. No, open the airway, no breathing, black tag, breathing, red tag. If they were breathing, you go down the other side, and then that's when you start uh, looking at their pulse. If it's beyond a certain level or below a certain level, um, they're going to be uh, red. If not, you move on to the next one. That's mental status. If they are able to answer questions appropriately, they get a yellow. Everything else gets a red. Your greens only factor in. Basically, the green question is, are they walking around? Yeah, green. That's basically what that boils down to. And the green people may need treatment. Yeah. We're not saying that they're not injured or they're not in shock or they're not a significant part of this incident. They're just, right now, we have priorities of people that are dying. And so, Doug set the set the theme of this really well when we talked about being overwhelmed. That's what this is. We're managing resources. Um, a black patient in an MCI that's not going to get worked on might be, if they were the only patient, they might get worked on. Because remember, black is dead or dying, not necessarily dead yet. What we're looking at is, do we have the resource, is, is, is this person viable? Because you can have no respirations and your heartbeat is still technically beating. It's not going to for much longer, but still technically beating. So that's not a viable patient. So we need to take the resources we have and focus on those where we can make a big impact. Well, that patient would take multiple paramedics. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so rather than having four paramedics on this one patient, you could have those four paramedics taking care of four or six other patients. Yeah. Put this in perspective. There were 116 injured patients. Yeah. You can't stop at any one patient, you know, and and devote two, three paramedics to one patient. You have to keep going. You're trying to do the most good for the most number of patients in the shortest amount of time that you can. Absolutely. And so I think this is actually probably a good point, a good spot to point out exactly sort of, you know, not to get, and I think all of us in here, we're probably the last people that ever describe ourselves as heroes. Not exactly, Clark Kent. You are. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, but um, give me a building I can leap over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll try and find one you can't leap over. That'd be harder. Your grandchild has one in the other room. Yeah. Like, no. 
but it is a good time to point out is that um, this does weigh on responders because the other thing that's going to be there is family. Some of those greens are going to have black family members there, and they want your attention. And you have to, unfortunately, you have to say, no, I'm sorry, I need to move on. Respectfully, but for uh, you yeah. know, with, with command because you can't. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing also is you may have a green that becomes yellow. You may have a yellow that becomes a red. So you have to keep repeating that triage while you're setting up your, as you're getting more resources in. Because you will eventually be able to have enough people you can set up a basic treatment area. What we used to try and do in the treatment area is have one area for the greens, one area for the yellows, one area for the reds. I think it's still the goal. Yeah. yeah. And then it all depends on... Uh, the resources you have at that time, they keep monitoring everybody in that group and see if they uh, need to change to 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 a different group. One thing we didn't touch upon about that first responder is they have to look at uh, as the resources come in, getting the resources in something of a coherent manner. Yeah, having resources maybe stage away and walk in because you don't need the apparatus, mm-hmm. and making sure you keep a good ingress and egress for your transport units because I've been there where. You show up, and the five cops that were fire engines that showed up behind you have parked and blocked you in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now you have a patient in the back of the truck that needs to go. You have nowhere to and go. And you can't go. Remember, so. you need to get these people off scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To the appropriate facility. Yeah, and that, that actually segues beautifully into the next part of this. So, And by the way, this is all uh, in our ICS, or Instant Command System, we talked about earlier. Command has been set up. This is the operations branch now. It's primarily where things are happening. Treatment and uh, triage and treatment would be part of the medical branch. Yeah. As is transport. And so once we once we've gone on the triage, next step is then treatment. So as was touched on, or as Doug once again pushing this uh, show farther down the line, uh, we start getting treatment areas and we start doing basic treatments uh, on scene uh, that are applicable. Afterwards, we start worrying about transport. So one of the things we have to do is we don't do anybody any good if we take this mass casualty incident and transport it to some hospital's parking lot somewhere. We've just transferred the the mass casualty incident. That's all we've done. Uh, Here in our area, we have a medical resource hospital that we call that will help us handle who goes where. And while um, we may be taking longer trips to get people seen, it's much better that that person has paramedics around them or EMTs, whoever the responding crew may be, uh, for a longer trip than to go to some emergency room into a triage area and wait for hours. Well, one of the things MRH will do is they will call physically all the hospitals, talk to the charge nurse or the lead doctor, and say, how many can you take from each category? Absolutely. That way you can have that. They will transfer that information on to command, who will transfer it on to uh, medical branch, who will transfer it on to transport branch, so they can keep track of how many people are setting everywhere. Absolutely. Now, as a concept of the instant command system, we've talked about command, we've talked about operations, we've talked about medical branch. There is even a setup to be able to expand this out. And one of the things that a lot of people don't know about, I didn't know about until I took uh, my ICS-100 mm-hmm. and my ICS-700, which are both FEMA-based classes. You can take the class online. Yeah, FEMA.gov. FEMA.gov. Is that little things like, I mean, this is how much work they put into this. You will never have more than seven people below you. Right. If you have seven people or more below you, that those people below you will be split into two groups. And you will then only have two people below you. Mm-hmm. One person will have three, and the other person will have four. And then, as those group people get, <laughs> those people below you get seven people below them, then that will keep expanding <laughs> out. 
so that it is a manageable system. And then also, the flow of information doesn't jump ranks. No. Transport's not going to go straight to instant command unless there's something huge going on. Transport's going to go to operations. Operations will talk to medical branch. Medical branch, I'm sorry. Transport will go to medical branch. Medical branch will go to operations. Operations will go to command. That way you don't have this beautifully laid out tiered system and everybody's talking to command and overwhelming it anyway. Yeah. So there is a very definitive command structure here. And that's where training really uh, really comes in. So um, do you mind if I talk about NIMS really quick? Yeah, I'm highly offended you would ask such a thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so briefly uh, going to diverge off this. Uh, so NIMS. NIMS stands for National Incident Management System. Not the secret of NIM. Yeah. Not, what is the secret of NIM? Oh, Jesus. He gave me that you have, look. You have failed him. Just so you know, Doug. You have failed your son. It is an is a amazing cartoon movie. I'm going to guarantee that he does not know either. <laughs> I'm going to put that doesn't, out. Doesn't appreciate his failure. So That's... <laughs> it is an amazing animated feature from the 80s. Moving on has nothing to do with our conversation. <laughs> well, but that's what you get. So uh, NIMS... Uh, is the National Incident Management System. NIMS came about uh, after 9-11, where we had, again, sort of almost a similar incident to what they're dealing with in California. Long story short, major event, multiple jurisdictions, organization needed. So it was actually President Bush uh, commissioned for a system to be constructed. Uh, Mark. Mark was raising his hand, by the way. Which helps when you're on the podcast. Yeah. Which President Bush? Number two. The little one. Junior. Okay. There we go. Uh, so, <laughs> so George W. Uh, in 2003, uh, he commissioned for the for a system to come up with, and they came up with NIMS. And basically, what NIMS did was it took ICS out of California, and NIMS supports ICS as a national standard for dealing with these. Uh, NIMS is mostly monitored uh, by FEMA and maintained by FEMA now, and it supports ICS across the nation by providing consistent training. That's the major. And the nice thing about this is we're talking about a medical incident here, but it can be used by the military and is used by the military. Yes. It can be used as a straight up police incident. Mm-hmm. It fits any system where you have a huge response and multiple responders. Yeah. So by 2006, NIMS was widely accepted by the nation. And since then, it's been the standard. So, uh, anyway, so let's see. So we were transporting patients off the scene. We talked about overflowing hospitals, but now let's talk a little bit about re-triage. So kind of as we're going through and we're moving patients off uh, the scene, or, or actually, actually I'd say even before that, as we're treating patients, at some point we may end up re-triaging uh, because greens can become yellows, yellows can become reds, uh, and things can go downhill from there. After we've done re-triage, though, we should be getting most patients... Uh, <laughs> Yes. Nothing, and reds. Nothing. And no, <laughs> right. Well, these patients can change. Very rarely do they change for the better. Yeah. You're exactly. not going to have a red go to a green. Yeah. Right. You know, if they're red, they're going to stay a red. Unless whoever was running triage was either really, really good or really, really bad. Exactly. What, yeah. what are the your other? treatment area is either rocking it or your triage area is totally dropping the ball. Right. So we're going to transport these people. We're going to get them off the scene. Now, one of the things that we might be doing at this point, because we already talked about, you're going to have to transport to a lot of different destinations. We might be taking people to what would typically be a less qualified hospital. Or such things in huge incidents where you put a number of greens on a bus with Absolutely. one medic. Yeah. And they they ride with them to the hospital that way just so you can get a large number of people 
to a destination of a hospital which may not be as high a level, you know, mm-hmm. skill-wise, but they don't necessarily need it. They just need a lot of people mm-hmm. to take care of these. And so what you might end up doing, though, is you might end up seeing transfers later mm-hmm. on as yeah. the days goes as the day goes on. A lot of these hospitals are going to be able to stabilize or as, come, as close to that as possible before the patient needs a higher level of definitive care. Mm-hmm. And it's also entirely possible that that definitive care just might not be available in the time that it's needed. So right. um, a lot of these instances can uh, become much, much worse as time goes on. So after after we've transported and we've cleared the scene, um, there's actually a lot more planning that's going to go on. These incidents uh, can drag out in many different ways. And this is where a planning branch, if it's established, is really going to have its impact. Uh, so one of the things that's going to have to happen is there's going to be demobilization. The incident is done. The patients are gone. How do we wind this back? And it's not as simple as, all right, everyone pack up, pa- excuse me, everyone pack up, go home. Great it's job. I high five and we're back. It doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. Yeah, you have equipment that needs to be taken care of, either fire equipment that needs to be re-rolled and cleaned and prepared, uh, medical equipment, again, that needs to be cleaned and collected. And remember, all the patients you send out there is going to have somebody's equipment. You've got right. to have a good records of where it went so that we can go retrieve that re- right. equipment. Uh, restocking disposable supplies, because you have more than likely depleted everything in your system, so you're going to need to get your ambulances and your engine, fire engines, restocked with IV supplies, bandages, oxygen, so you can be effective. But also... You have to you have to take into account the first responders, the people that in the moment were busy, mm-hmm. and they were there and they were doing everything they could and doing the best job they could. But after the incident, these things can come back and bother you minutes, hours, days, months, years later. Yeah. So I know traditionally after these instances, they try and have what's called a hot wash, where you get like all of the people together that you can. And you do it in the after the or in the in the heat of it, you're done with the instant. Okay, what worked, what didn't work, and then later on you're going to have a cold wash, where you're going to go through and you're going to not pick apart the incident, but you're going to look for learning points mm-hmm. for another. So God forbid you have another incident like this, you and, ha- you can improve. And th- and that again kind of highlights uh, what I would say is one of the remarkable features about EMS personnel is any other job if a bomb goes off. You pretty much have have a blank check to not have a good day. Right. And you're going to go home. You're going to be taken care yeah. of. There's a good possibility that you're going to work this scene mm-hmm. and then get called out for another call. Absolutely. Almost immediately. And so, and this is kind of one of the things that with EMS responders that, that is different is not only do we run this stressful call, not only do we do this, we then later revisit it, pick it apart, and see how we can improve. Now, it's not to mean we don't place blame on people. That's not what no. I'm saying. But what we do is because our job is critical, because our job can't, because we cannot simply say, wow, man, that was a rough call. Well, Put it out of your head and move on. I tell all my trainees, we're not making widgets here. No. This is, you have to be paying attention. You have to be, you know, understand what you're mm-hmm. doing all the time. Absolutely. It's one of the few jobs out there where 100% is really the only acceptable standard mm-hmm. and almost unattainable. And regardless of, that's a really good point. Actually, that's a really good point. Uh, when you when you go through uh, paramedic school, it sure feels like that. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where we start talking about. I mean, again, our our responders have to see this and deal with it. In our industry, we're going to relive it so we can get it right in the future. We just don't have we just don't have the luxury of forgetting about it. 
Well, the thing is, we're going to learn, learn it so we can do better in the future, but we need to make sure that we're not reliving it to our detriment. Absolutely. This is one of the big things that's changed within the last five years in, in emergency services is we're coming to realize that as much as we want to jump over tall buildings in a single bound, mm-hmm. we're not going to unless it's Doug's grandchild building in the other room. Right. You know, and we have to address these things because be a police officer, firefighter, paramedic, you know, social worker, whatever, you see horrific things in this job, things that you really shouldn't have to see in, the, in your life. And you'll see it over and over again. And what our company is, our company is a good example of kind of what's going on. Um, but a lot of companies are starting to offer policies now. You have a stressful call on that day and you need to head home. You head home and you keep your pay. You need to make a health-based decision, not a financial decision. Uh, we have free access to psychological help in the terms of our EPA programs, employee, mm-hmm. or I'm sorry, EAP, EPA. Environmental Protection Agency programs, mm-hmm. uh, employee assistance programs, and we, we take care of our people. We have chaplains. You know, we have people specialized uh, to help people through. And help with CISD. I know that uh, Doug's former employer, he worked for a local fire department, actually has a full-time person mm-hmm. who does nothing but dealing with training. There was also a county team, they were called Critical Instance Stress Debriefers. Mm-hmm. And all you had to do was call them. I don't know about it now. I've been retired Five years. We found out today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, yeah, give us a little bit of your uh, of your history. Just uh... Well, back when I used to run my ambulance with a covered wagon group. <laughs> now, the, I was uh, first hired uh, by the local ambulance company uh, in 1978. Wow. Okay, I worked for them for 13 years. Then I went to work for... I'd like to point out right now that I was eight at that time. <laughs> <laughs> when I so old I was. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't even a gleam in my eye. <laughs> <laughs> and then I worked for uh, Twalton Valley Fire. And I worked for them for 20 years. And then I retired in... Uh, 2012. 2012. Yeah. yeah. And, I've been, and things have changed tremendously. I remember you uh-huh. telling me that... You used to have a uh, holster, I think you said it was, that had fire eater, a smoke eater yeah. on there. And I'm yeah. What is this? Oh, no, they had a belt buckle that uh, yeah, they gave it. to us one time we were fighting a fire. A holster? I'm like, wow, what did my dad do? Oh, Why like did radio you know, holster. holster. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was a belt just, buckle, though. They weren't that interested in self-contained breathing apparatus. Yeah. And now... Uh, if you get cancer as a firefighter, it is a presumption that it's caused by the gases and stuff you mm-hmm. had to breathe during firefighting. So it's presumptive that the fire department caused that and they're responsible for it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's better. Things have changed a lot, mm-hmm. as has the medical profession. This critical or this uh, uh, command system you guys are, 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 are talking about. Uh, I worked with one of the guys that designed that for this county. And that was so much fun working with him because, well, he knew it better than anybody else. (laughs) And learned a lot working with him on that. What were some of the challenges getting it integrated? uh, It was something new and very complex. And then uh, getting all the hospitals on one team. Getting uh, every hospital for a, a short time wanted to be trauma centers. Yeah. And then, uh, so everybody was a trauma center. And then they go, no, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> and now we have basically two that are full-time. Now, another hospital that is work out here in western Washington County 
you give them 10 minutes, they can come up and be a trauma system and a uh, trauma center, uh, things like that. It had to develop. The whole trauma system on what was entry criteria had to be developed and then changed and monitored and yeah. found out, you it's, know, which of those. It's still people. broken. Yeah. And it always will be growing. Mm -hmm. That's the thing about all of EMS. It's never going to change. What you learned as a paramedic going through classes ain't that way anymore. No. So did you run into any integration problems because, so the, the example I use for integrating a new technology or a new structure, I use hockey. Because for many years, hockey players refused to wear helmets and face shields. And you could tell who they were because they were all missing half their teeth and broken noses and everything like that. And now it's very commonplace. Did you run into any kind of that macho pushback where, no, we know how to do it best. We've been doing it this way all these years. Yeah, that's a that's a big thing, especially with, I hate to say it, fire departments. You know, they're uh, reasonably macho. Uh, things are changing. Uh, uh we didn't have women for a long time. And I was around when they first started having women. That was a lot of pushback on that. Yeah, I remember but, also where that was uh, You guys got to remember, when I started, uh, paramedics were just getting to where they could defibrillate out in the field. And that really made a lot of ER nurses angry. Now look at it. Anybody can defibrillate. It isn't right. who pushes the button to <laughs> defibrillate somebody. The guy in a mall can and right. has defibrillated. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. It's yeah. It there be, was it a lot of territorial. Yeah. But it's getting better. Yeah. But the development took time mm -hmm. and skill and revisiting and redoing. Well, I also re imagine it took a couple times of having to use it before people really saw the value. Uh huh. You know, you can talk about it all day long, but until you get to instant and you see the value. Yeah. So, uh, Chris, anything else? I am uh, just about said. I think I've said everything what? that I wanted to say. About? Well, no, but I mean. <laughs> about this. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you have anything to add? No, I've talked a lot more than I thought I was going to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in case you didn't pick up on it, Doug is Chris's father. And yeah. So. And I like to call him dad too, but it just makes him feel weird. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank though. you very much. Oh, you fun bet. You. Chris, thank you for joining me on the podcast. <laughs> Anytime. Actually, every time. I'm going to thank me. What's that? Uh, well, have you seen your contributions? Well, that's a good point. Yeah. That's a valid point. Everybody have a good day, and we will see you next time on Medical Stuff. Bye. Toodles. Bye. Dost. 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 <laughs> well, that, that was fun. Yeah. It is a lot of fun.